What's up, guys? Welcome back to another Inform with Anthony podcast. Uh, today we have here the one and only Jorge Ventura, a man who needs yes, no introduction. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, bro. This is fun. Yeah, Glad we're finally able to do this. Yeah, thanks for being here, bro. Um, this is going to be interesting because I'm going to try my best not to laugh and giggle like a little schoolgirl uh, because we're we're longtime friends, man. Mm-hmm. You know, we we kind of came into the to the scene around the same time mm-hmm. um, politically, right? Um, what was it at the Andrew Yang interview that really? Just yeah, it was that. And then I think by the end of the year, we were both. I think our first political event was a 2018 Young Latino leadership, leadership in Phoenix, Arizona. Man. Well, you're going to be speaking here soon, man. Yeah, man. Look, and then life just, dude, that's like a full circle moment, man. Because I remember at that time, I remember your 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 Instagram had 5,000 followers. That's insane. And I was at 2K, and I mean, I think it's insane, right? Just four years later, the amount of kind of influence and networking that we we both have. Um, it's kind of, it's, it's good to see, man, but it's also hopefully example for other people that like, you got to put in the work every day. There's no, it yeah. wasn't like an overnight viral thing. It was, you know, every day, just one day at a time, grind, grind, grind. And back then we thought we were like the ish. We oh like, yeah. Yeah. Bro, I got 5,000. You're like, yeah, 2,000. <laughs> I thought you were already famous. I was like, like this guy's talking down. to me. I yeah. was like, yeah. Now we're all just like, damn, we're censored. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, man. But, um, you know, for the people that might not know you, um, for whatever reason, I was just telling you right before we started mm-hmm. the podcast, my mom's like, oh, I want to go. Man, she should have came, bro. I want to meet Jorge. <laughs> she loves your stuff, we man. We could get some kind a of lot of tacos. People, I know. That's what we'll do next time. But for the people, again, for, that might be listening for the first time, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your upbringing, your parents, all that stuff? Yeah, so right now, um, 26 years old, journalist from SoCal, um, based out of Palmdo, California. I'm a reporter for The Daily Caller. Um the, I guess the title is like frontline reporter or um, so I'm kind of the guy they kind of throw out there and really just chase stories on the on the ground. Um, grew up in, in Downey. Both of my parents are immigrants from El Salvador. Uh, they uh, both came during the Civil War. So my mom and dad had kind of different um, perspectives on it. So my dad was actually forced for the government to be in the war. So I think my dad was already a, a teenage soldier by the age of 14. Mm. My mom at that time had the duties of like what a regular Salvadorian 10 year old girl would have, which is like taking care of all the younger siblings, cooking, cleaning. I mean, back in the day, if you actually think about like a 10 year old could do a lot. I mean, just even a 10 year old girl. So my mom was cooking, cleaning, taking care of the, all the siblings, managing the farm. And she would be telling me like the stories were like at night, she would put my uncles and Thias asleep the younger ones, and then she would sleep on the floor because the bullets would be going through the windows. I mean, that's how close the, the war was every day. My mom used to yeah. go to school and see, like, um, heads chopped off, be put on these, like, spikes on the way to school. And so that, that's that's kind of the upbringing my, my parents had when they came to the U.S. Uh, my mom was, like, 19. I think my dad was, was 21. They, they didn't meet yet. Um, and then, you know, my mom was, like, would tell me the stories. Like, she would wake up at, like, 5 a.m. in East L.A. to get the bus to go to work. My dad... Um, got into the trucking business early, which I'm thank God, man. I have huge respect for truckers um, because because of that, my dad was able to give us a nice middle class life. So we grew up in Downey, California, great neighborhood, uh, typical middle class life. Where and it was actually awesome because back in the day, around that time, I think there's like the old America. You go outside and like other kids were outside. So I grew up mm. in a neighborhood where like other kids were outside. We played outside. My mom, um, she kind of taught us the lessons. Like my mom was always like the one in the in the neighborhood that would bring all the kids over and we would have dinner together, which was like, I thought it was like, you no, know, these little lessons, like you don't think is a big deal. Like yeah. taught me a lot. So my mom, I could always see like she was a caring mother and stuff. So I grew up, grew up around that. And then, um, 2008, uh, my, da- we were hugely affected by the financial crash. So when the market crashed, housing market, my dad lost his job as a trucker. 
we lost our house. We were on the borderline of going homeless. Mm. And the only way I actually just made a tweet about it because the anniversary just passed. But I just I made a tweet where like the only way we ate, we ate is my mom made homemade tamales and sold them on the street. And right there just teaches little things of like grit and like not giving up. Um, and then, you know, good thing God we were able to, to bounce back. Went to um, went to high school at Corto High School, class of 13 Rebels. They actually changed the name Rebels because it's offensive now. I think we're like the farmers, Corto farmers. Now no, we're not, no longer Rebels. <laughs> then I went to community college here in Valencia, where you're from now. Um, yeah, went to community college. Uh, was going to major in journalism, but then ended up dropping out when I officially became a uh, Daily Caller employee uh, in October 2020. Kind yeah. of quick little story there. Yeah. So you were already going to school for journalism. I remember we yeah, uh, yeah. when we when we went to the Andrew Yang event. Oh, still in school. Yeah, you had to like rent the the, the school cameras. So you yeah, yeah. You, we, it was a, the school tripod, school cameras that we used to get. Oh man, that was that was that was good times. I loved it, man. Like and yeah. um, you know, I went to when I started going to school. I was actually 21, and the reason I mention this is because everyone went to school, you know, obviously after high school, 18 years old. So by the time I'm 21, 22, you're, you're supposed to be graduating. Mm -hmm. But the thing about me, man, I was a, such an F up in high school. I was so rebellious, um, and I had good parents. It wasn't even like a thing like I had a broken home. Like I had like a, a great mom and dad, siblings, but I was just so, I don't know what it was, but when I turned 13, I just was rebellious. Started like ditching school, got hooked on like drugs. We used to take like painkillers, Vicodin, popping pills for no reason. I was such a good athlete too. Like I was, I was on, I was on a road. Like if I kept my path, I was like, I mean, I could have literally be playing basketball in college. Like I remember I was 12 years old playing travel b-ball, and I remember after my games, like you have this little Salvadoran mother living, like leaving the gym with me. She'll be surrounded by like 30 coaches. Like we gotta have Jorge come to Arizona or come come to New York. We'll like pay for everything and all this stuff. So I was, I was d going down that path, and then. Went, to, went down this like rebellious path um, in high school. Then after high school, I I, um, I kind of like bounced back and then I didn't go to school um, to 21. So it, it happened really late for me. I don't think people realize that. Like, you know, so it's, uh, it's been quite a journey, man, to say the least. So you said you went rebellious after you started drinking tap water? <laughs> that might have been it. That Alex been Jones it. over here, That's man. He was like, right. He was right once they, they didn't turn me gay. <laughs> for sure, man. Um, yeah, for like a lot of you that may not know, like uh, when I first met Jorge Ventura, um, I think we met like online, right? Like we, yeah. we we had met online and stuff, and I saw that you were out there kind of getting your feet wet with frontline political news. Yeah, because yeah. you were doing, weren't you doing like sports for a while too? Yeah, or? it was all sports. I hate, I didn't even want to do politics. It was all sports, 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 sports. Literally, like, like I remember you could even tell, like, I was like 21, 22 years old. If you told me like what a Democrat Republican was, like, if you could explain it, I couldn't even explain it. Like, I mm -hmm. hated it. I thought it was corny, and then I hated like local news. I remember like I I, I like dreaded local news of like hey, like hey, there's a moose in, in front of the road. Like I didn't want to do that news, <laughs> so I went down the sports lane. That's all. That's all I um, did. And then um, what people might not know, but also I had an uncle. He's still sports reporter for Telemundo, uh, Saul Rodriguez. So like right now, if you're in in LA, you turn on TV, you're gonna watch Saul tonight. But my uncle, one of the best things he did for me was. He brought me around it and taught me how to, uh, he would use the word vision. Mm -hmm. So when I was like 15, when David Beckham made that famous move to LA Galaxy, and, and remember he came in LA was and everything, my uncle took me to the game and like took me with him in media and like was like, hey, this is how you get a media pass. This is how you conduct yourself. And he, and those little things was like such a huge blessing, man, because it was like, he would, it would already send to, it was like planting plant my dream in my mind. And I think that 
helped me out when I was younger. Even even though I went through a rebellious path, I always had this like I kind of knew what I was supposed to do, but I didn't you know know exactly. So like my uncle did that. I remember one of the biggest things like my uncle would invite me to the studios, like 15 years old, to Telemundo Studios, and sit me at the anchor desk. And then right there, I would already think I would imagine myself like on TV. I would imagine reading a teleprompter. And all those little things. So I was I was on pace to be a sports reporter. Um, one of the best things my uncle did though was he never gave me an internship with like like a lot of like people who are connected with media. A lot of the family members would give a sibling or whatever uh, an internship just because, right? But not because they earned it. My uncle was rough with me. My uncle would be like, "Look, you'll never. I'm never giving you an internship until you deserve it. Until you're good enough, you're gonna work for it. I'm not. I'm, you're not gonna come in and embarrass me." And it was um it was actually I think around the time I met you. I, I I got a an internship with NBC Sports. I was working with Telemundo. I was uh, it was the year where the Rams made the playoffs with Jared Goff, okay. and I was like cover, covering the Rams. So that was literally my trajectory. Um, it, but after this was a twi- 2018, uh, 2018, but in twenty sixteen, my mind started to change because that's when the election with Trump happened. And then I would just became fascinated by politics because politics, for I think for the first time, was like in our face. And I, f- I feel like before 2016, young people didn't care about politics. It wasn't like on your team. And then now it was like everywhere. Like everything was political. So I was being, I was becoming fascinated. And I think around the time I met you, it was a perfect time because that's when the midterms came. Yeah. And I think it was perfect time for us because you were coming up in the game. So you, it was like giving us just all this content that we could cover. We, we did the Andrew Yang stuff. I remember, you know, we like chased down other, other candidates and protests and things. So it was a great, like that 2018 was such a fun time because we was like learning politics was everywhere. And like, you were just learning, 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 kind of adjusting to where media was going to take us in 2020, which we had no idea that, you know, what 2020 was going to come. Yeah. And, and just going back to that, uh, the Andrew Yang stuff. So that's, I remember you invited me to your school and you're like, yo, you want to come check out basically the lab, like how oh, we right, edit right, stuff right. and everything. And so you took me, you showed me like, Hey, this is like the computers that we were now. Premiere Pro. Yeah. yeah. The Premiere Pro you were showing me a little bit. Cause at that point I was already doing podcasting with my good friend, Jose, who was like a self-described Bernie bro, mm-hmm. you know? And then I was like this staunch conservative and I was also kind of getting my feet wet with with politics, because like you said, before that, really no one... No, it wasn't it was, a thing, man. It wasn't yeah. like a huge thing, but then Trump happened, and then everyone was talking about politics. That's all anyone would talk yeah. about. It was, like you said, it was in your face, everything. Especially for SoCal, because it yeah. was like this, like, SoCal could understand why Trump was running, you right. know? And you had all these other candidates, like Bernie, Tulsi, uh, you know, Kamala had her hat thrown in. And then Yang, went, the time we went to cover Yang, Yang was like a phenomenon, because it's like this first actually outsider running in the Democratic Party, because it was all establishment right. then. And Yang was his first outsider. Then you and me went to cover it. And um, the funniest thing, I mean, I always tell the story to people because it was like when we went to the for the press thing, we were like, oh, we're with uh, UCLA Bruin News. Like we would, we would be like, oh, we're with the university. And then yeah. that's how, for people who don't know, me and Anthony got, were able to score one-on-one interviews with Yang. And it was funny. We're like, I did my interview. Then Anthony has holds the camera. And then we had it. We went we to Yang. We're like, hey, uh, just hold on. We have like one more. And then and Yang's like, huh? And then we switched. And then we switched. From cameraman. And then you were you were the, the town. That was so funny. Yang was a good sport about it, though. Yeah. yeah. I remember Weber's way was there. And he was like pretending to be Fox News. That was good. That was a good day. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was so good. <laughs> yeah, man. That was that was nuts because 
I remember that this was like, you're right, like Yang was kind of like this outsider. And he, like, what made him so different from everyone else was the UBI. Oh, yeah. Where he was just like, yeah, guaranteed income for everyone. What was it, like a thousand bucks or something like a that? A thousand bucks. And then so, he had like the math. He just had like a, yeah, he math, was something new. So he was exciting. Right. He the, attracted people from both sides. Both because sides. I remember there was like Trump supporters yep. there. And they're like, hey, I actually like this guy, you know, and I'm, a, I'm actually a Republican. I'm not really liking this Trump guy or whatever. Maybe I, I might lean toward, yep. you know, like Andrew Yang. And then what was awesome was I remember like the interviews that we did was what would you do with an extra one thousand? <laughs> and here we were thinking that like it's a it's a place full of intellectuals with like smart responses. They're like, oh, I just buy more weed. Yeah, you yeah. Know? It's just like, oh, I buy a cool guitar, man. You yeah, know, one day I was like, like, I started a rock band, just like silly stuff. And that was twenty eighteen was fascinating because it was the midterm time, and in and around that time, if you remember. Um, is when a caravan started coming to, to the border. Mm -hmm. And it was like the first migrant caravan. And I remember I went up to my professors at College of the Canada and I said, can I go to Tijuana and cover the story? And they were like, they said, they basically said no. And they were like, if you take the school camera across like into a different country, like you, you're going to break a huge rule. It's going to be all the stuff. And I think one of the things about being rebellious that helped me out was I've used that rebellious attitude in media. So right there in my head, I'm like, oh, you're not going to stop me from like doing the story. Um, I remember I took the cameras. I, I uh, grabbed a friend named David Martinez to, to be my cameraman. We went into Tijuana and we're like hitting the streets, really dangerous parts. And we were in these migrant camps. And I was I didn't even know at the time, but I was doing something that like now that I'm actually fully doing as a job. But like I went there to tell the story and get on the ground. And even at that age, like I was um, I was just hungry for it. And I think. I remember going back to school, turning it in, and they were just couldn't believe that like, I broke the rules. But I told the story, and they're like, all right, well, you already did it. Um, so that was just – it was just crazy times, man, because it was, like, such an interesting time in it for both of us because we were just growing so much. And then at, around – after the Yang thing, I remember, too, I fully quitted sports. I remember, like, I, I quit sports, and I went full into political – like, the, the political reporting. And I remember on my last day of my, tele, my NBC Sports internship, the producer pulls me to the side, Javier. I don't want to say his last name. And Javier goes, um, you're a great reporter. I could tell, like, you're going to be great in this business. He's like, but you have one flaw. And I was like, what's the flaw? And he goes, he's like, I could tell when I look at you, you can't decide between being a sports reporter or being a political reporter. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I'm going to tell you something right now. In this business, you can't do both. So you have to pick one. It's true. And then right there, I was like, I already knew in my heart. I'm like, I'm going political. And it was such a risk at the time because – I put so much years into being the sports reporter mm -hmm. and then, you know, having that conversation with my mom, like she just doesn't, didn't agree. Cause she's like, how could you throw everything away and like start from zero? Like I was already at NBC sports. And, and, the, the, and the thing about that, like I was already, you know, in, like basically reporting on the Rams. Like I was almost right there from just, you know, I could have been 23 year old kid, Fox LA sports. I could already made, you know, could have, could have done some big things, but I just did, you know, I was like, you know what, this is, I know this is for sure what I want to do. And, um, I never looked back and, one of the two stories that played a huge role, one of them you were actually directly involved. The first one was there was a shooting at Highland High School. Mm -hmm. And this was in Palmdale, California. I remember I covered the shooting. And that was the first time I ever did any, anything like that because it's always been sports. But when I covered the shooting and then I posted all the content online, the people that reached out, they're like, hey, man, your coverage was like better than like the local news. Like you were on the ground. Like you spoke to kids. You spoke to witnesses, parents. And I was like, hmm. And then... Then there was a shooting in Santa Cruz. There was a school where your, your daughter was going to school. Mm -hmm. And, like, those moments, like, I was like, oh, yeah, I can't go back to sports. I can't go back to, like, oh, halftime. This guy scored this many points. I'm like, 
this is what I want to do. I want to be on the front lines political. And then, yeah, kind of never looked back to, uh, you know, left NBC Sports, which was a crazy time thing because I remember when we had the internship meeting, NBC was like, hey, you, you, you 10 students in here? You're, and this is what I really appreciated actually about NBC was they were like, you're meant, you're, you're meant to be here. You're here for a reason. They're like, we're NBC. We get thousands of applications a day from Penn State to USC. Every big college, we get them. And you 10 made it. So you're here for a reason. So every day, bring it. And right, like, I needed that mm -hmm. as, a, as a young kid. So, like, all those little things, man, kind of just translated for, I think, what year, for what 2020 was going to be. And we, you and me both didn't even know. Obviously, no one knew what was going to happen in 2020. But all the little things I think that you and me were doing, going out to the streets, talking to voters, talking to Hispanics. Remember, um, right when, like, the, the pandemic happened, you, you, and me, you and me were the only ones to cover undocumented immigrants protesting yeah. against the shutdowns. I mean, all these little yeah. things has been... It's just a crazy thing, especially for us here in SoCal, because I think we got to see it before the rest of the country got to see a lot of the protests and stuff. That was such a crazy time. And oh, like the, the way it happened with like the beginning of the pandemic was you and I actually showed up because we were looking to report on there was like a local L.A. protest yep. against the shutdowns. And we took a wrong turn. Instead of making a left, we turned right because we're like, well, wait a minute. Where are all those people over there? And it was like street vendors. And it was like it was like a caravan. Mm -hmm. Remember, it was like a caravan of cars and minivans. And they were all honking. And we're like, bro, I think it's over there. And I think you were like, I thought they said that it was going to be right in front of like City Hall. I'm like, well, let's go check that out just for like a second. Or like you right. said that to me or something like that. And so we went over there. And it turns out that it's all undocumented immigrants. And they're like, what do you mean we're going to close down? Like, we don't get any of these checks or stimuluses yep. or uh, we don't get any of that. We have to rely strictly on working because we're undocumented. Like, what are you talking about? You're going to shut down our business. And so we went and we interviewed so many people. And a lot of them were in Spanish and we had to translate it to English. And I remember you and I were sending it to like LA Times. We were sending it to like local NBC. And there was like no media coverage oh, at all. No. None. And I remember I sent it over to them. I, I sent them the videos. I'm like, dude, I don't even care for credit. Just post it for the sake of posting it. They'd never posted it. I don't remember them ever like even writing like an article or anything. I just felt bad because, dude, I'll never forget like the, the, the lady that you interviewed. She was like in a minivan and you kind of just got up in oh, there right, right. and she was like crying to you, bro. And she's like, dude, I got kids. I'm a single mom. How the hell am I supposed to survive? And you just kind of like looked at me and I'm like, hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah dude. Like, don't look at me, dude. You know, like I don't have the answers, and I just felt bad because she was like, "I'm already behind on my bills. I don't, I don't oh, have right, enough. Right, right. I don't have enough money for next month's. Like, how am I? I can't work. Like, how is this fair for me? And here we come and we show up, and then it turns out that they're gone for the day. You know, like they all just decided not to show up because they didn't want to have to see us. And I was like, damn, bro. You and, know? And, and that moment, man, was a was a microcosm for what like the next two to three years were going to be when it came like what i mean by that is like was the media that told you that cared about black and brown people mm -hmm. never told the, the their stories right and it was a right. huge like that moment was a microcosm for what we were going to see in the shutdowns the kids um you know all the kids who have been depressed and suicidal with the, the school shut, shutdowns um so it was a huge moment and um it's just you know it's such a crazy now that we're talking about it, it's crazy because it's like all the little things that we were doing, man, it, it was we had no idea that we were being prepared for the huge year of 2020. Um, yeah. You know, 2018 was the midterms, all the little things. Um, and, at the, at, you know, for me, it was a crazy time because I was just a student journalist. Like I was grinding 
And I felt like at that time, I remember a lot of my friends were huge. Like I remember uh, I met Fleckus Talks when I was like a student journalist and Fleckus already had the blue check. He was like living off the internet, met a bunch of folks who were already doing great. Drew Hernandez was coming up around that time. And um, it was just a crazy, crazy time for like to be in SoCal because we had so many protests. So we just had it all and um, everything was crazy, man. And then like for me, the other aspect was like I was a student journalist at school. So like for me... My first semester as a student journalist was like abysmal. Um, every like for us, they I remember they had like every three weeks you had to turn in a news report, mm-hmm. and I every that semester every report was late or was bad. The standups were bad, the editing was bad, the script writing was bad, and like the professor pulled me to the side. I remember after the semester, he's like, "Look, man, I know you're good, man. He's like, I know you want. It. He's like, but we gotta like next semester you gotta do like a lot better." And I remember just I was like, "Dude, I'm I I'm gonna just gonna." kill it and then i think i went into like the the black mama kobe mindset because i remember i went in like the next semester i said you know what f this every three weeks they said they want one story i'm gonna do three so by the time that the the first reports are due every student's at one and i'm at three by the second report all the students at two i'm at six they'll be at three and i'm at nine by doing that dude that changed everything for me and that that really got me ready for 2020 because what that did was Instead of saying, okay, one report every three weeks, now since I have to do three stories every three weeks, it 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 put me in more situations. It put me in different stories. It put like it, you're just putting yourself in more situations, which is just like my development just went boom, 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 boom. And all of a sudden, I was just passing up all the kids. Like I went from last to first quick. Like I remember passing up all the students, putting in more work, boom, 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 on the ground, on the ground, no excuses, no excuses. I remember like I used to listen to Grant Cardone and he would always be like, no excuses for nothing. It's all on you all the time. And I remember just all right, I'm grinding, I'm grinding, I'm grinding. And um, just started beating out the students. And I remember, like, walking, you, if you walk around uh, College of the uh, Canyons, what they'll do is they actually have banners of students, of, like, all the big students, right? They'll be like, Mike Williams, you know, like, majored in science or whatever. And they're like, Mike's now is, like, a famous scientist or whatever. And I remember one of them, and this is no, this is no disrespect to Jonathan Gonzalez, but there was one where he, he um, there's a guy named Jonathan Gonzalez, he went to our school, and he's now at like NBC LA. You watch him on TV every single day. I remember seeing one of Jonathan Gonzalez, and I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna be so much bigger than that guy." <laughs> you know, but like I just needed like the the, the yeah. motivation, man. But as I was grinding, man, and I'm like, I felt like I was working my face off, beating other students. I couldn't land an internship. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 this is not after NBC too. Like now, I couldn't get into the political game. So I was like, "Oh man, this is bad. Mm-hmm. Like this is real bad." Couldn't get in. No one would give me an internship. Uh, no one. I mean, no one. So I'm grinding. And then as I'm going through this, man, at this point now I'm working for Uber. And I remember sort of I worked for Uber so I wouldn't have to have a manager. For folks that don't, I was always in sales. So um, I worked for Uber so I could cover stories and not have a manager. So I'm working for Uber, killing myself for seven days a week because I was like just going crazy and reporting stories. And nothing was happening, man. Like just getting zeros. Couldn't get an internship. And then I fell into a big depression. Um around the ending of 2019 because i was working my face off and nothing was going right my instagram wasn't growing either and i remember dude every day just waking up uh angry at life like i remember i just wake up and like i was just so angry how like it like it just wasn't happening i knew i knew i was like looking to break through nothing dude i remember just waking up so so angry and depressed and like the worst month of depression for me like i think for me depression is different for everyone but like for me it was like when you wake up and like you don't even mind or don't care to like leave bed and then that happened for me like 30 days not leaving bed in pajamas bad dude self-confidence was crashing and i remember i was like you know what i just got to stick to it stick to it and then around 2019 christmas time this was so corny 
But I was watching a lot of uh, Sagar and Jetty and Crystal Ball. They had the show called Rising on the Hill. And I was fascinated by this political show because it was like the first time, like, like Sagar was in his 20s. So the first time I was like, man, these young people in D.C. And at and, and that time, it was my dream man, to get into D.C., but I couldn't. I'm like, there's no way it's going to happen for me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm going to community college. I'm not going to UCLA. It's never going to happen for me. And then I, would, um, I was fascinated by Daily Caller because Tucker Carlson owned it. Mm-hmm. And I followed a lot of reporters on Twitter. Like, there were all these young reporters that looked like they were living their dream. And I'm like, man, I would, I'm just fascinated. I would do anything to be at the Daily Caller. And I was watching Crystal and Sagar, and I remember around Christmas time, I tweeted at Sagar and Jetty. This is so corny that I think about it, but I tweeted at Sagar and said, hey, Sagar, I'm a student journalist at a community college. Um, all I want for Christmas is career advice. What's up, guys? Anthony Cabasa here. Just want to take a quick pause to first and foremost, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. It really means a lot uh, to us in the production uh, side of things and also myself for all the things that you guys do to continue to support our work. Another great way, if you're looking to be able to expand our platform, to keep the lights on here in the studio, sort of say, uh, you can become a monthly contributor. If you go to informwithanthony.com, there is a tab there on how to become a Patreon subscriber or a YouTube subscriber uh, for less than a gallon of gas. And gallon of gas is uh, rounding up $10. So for less than $10, you can help support my platform. Another way that you can also help is uh, also on our website. Uh, we have some cool little merch there that we have right before the midterms. We got this. I'm actually wearing it right now. Uh, we have a Volta shirt. This means vote. Get out there. Get activated. Make sure you vote this upcoming midterms. Your voice matters. Get activated. Make sure to vote. So, again, those are ways that you can right now for you know, less than a gallon of gas or for the t-shirt, you can go on to the website, www.informwithanthony.com, make that purchase and continue to help us here at the Inform with Anthony studio. So again, thank you so much for your time. See you guys out there. And I tweeted out, it's like if you're like a kid who makes music and you tweet at Drake, like, hey, Drake, can you look at my mixtape? Like you just, it's a, it's for fun. You don't think Drake's going to respond. Credit to Sagar. He literally DMs me like two days later. So like he DMs me. I have a blue check in my DM and I'm freaking out like, oh, my God. And I open it and Sagar's like, hey, I saw your, your, your tweet. I'm on vacation right now, but call me on this date and we could have a talk. So I remember um, I, what I thought what was going to happen is like I just call Sagar, tell him my life story. And Sagar's like, OK, I get I get you. You're going to do this, do this and do that. And you'll be on the way to an internship or whatever. I told Sagar my story. I told him this, everything I'm doing. He goes, you know what? Um, he's like, I used to work at the Daily Caller. And I go, what? And he goes, let me talk to the Daily Caller. Let me see if they'll give you an internship. And you're, if, we'll see if you're the right fit. He's like, would you go to D.C.? I'm like, mother F, I'll go to D.C. tomorrow. Like, I was like, no way. Like, I'm already here, yeah. bro. Yeah, I'm like, no Where way. Where are you this, at? Yeah. Um, and I think around, um, so Sagar gets back to me around January 2020. And basically greenlit, like you're you're good to go. You're gonna just just do some internships with, the, I mean, do some interviews with the Daily Caller, and then you, they'll get you the final mess. But they, they like your work. They they feel like you're a right fit. And then as all this stuff has happened, like as I feel like this is going good, boom, the pandemic happened. So the pandemic happens, and then uh, Daily Caller we do the interviews, and then uh, one of the uh, my final interview was uh, was was Richie McGinnis. Me and uh, Richie McGinnis do the interview. And he's like, you're the right fit. You're good to go. He's like, hey, man, we're in the pandemic. So he's like, I don't even know what your internship is going to look like because our newsroom is closed. He's like, but if we give you an internship, when would you come? And I said, I would come uh, in the summer for my summer break. And we agreed. And I remember as soon as I got my internship and it was like guaranteed, if people at the Daily Caller are going to laugh about it, but like for me, it was a big deal because 
no one was going to give me a shot. I remember I went downstairs, told my mom, and me and her both cried, dude. Both cried because she knew how hard I've been working. And then she, we both knew, like, this was going to be that break. Um, and like I said, a lot of kids getting an internship at the Daily Caller is not a big deal. They, you know, whatever. But for, for a kid like me, working class background, no one gave us a shot, like, always overlooked. This was, like, everything. And I remember... You guys did a, like our, our friends did a great job of surprising me before going away, and I remember. Yeah. Um, we did it out there in Orange County. Yeah, we went to Orange County. You guys did this huge surprise for me. I remember uh, my friend Jamie at that time was like, "Hey, we're just gonna go hang out at the beach. Like, it's it's you know, we just want to like talk to you, and before you go away, then you got, you guys were all surprised me. Um, it was at Slapfish. And what was great about that is that we did it inside of a restaurant when all yeah. restaurants were shut down. Shout out to Andrew and, at Slapfish and, and demanding that like you had to be vaccinated or you had to yeah or no at the time there wasn't any. Uh, jabs yeah no no, no yeah, you, yeah you just had to do you had to be masked. shut down and you had to be masked and then andrew who was like defying all state mandates here in california of all places was like nah you guys could have the party at my place i'll Dude, open it up that for was you guys. such a um and like people Definitely don't know man, shout like, out for yeah that and that was such a big moment in my life man because it was um like i said me and my mom cried and i knew like this opportunity man was almost like and people don't look at this stuff but i knew for me it was life or death meaning that like if i went to the daily call and did an internship and then like nothing happened after that come back I'm just going to be a journalist, at the, like community college journalist, student journalist, and never really going to even make anything of myself. Like, I just thought, like, it was over. And I remember you guys threw a going away party for me, which was awesome. We had our moment where, like, we talked. And I remember this was a huge, what I loved was Sergio, our good friend, was like, when, um, when I said bye to him, and I said, like, hey, man, I'll see you guys in, like, three months. He's like, you're not coming back. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you're going to get that job, and you're not going to come back. And it was just like... Crazy man, and then um, yeah, left left for the internship and had no idea that yeah, after that life was not going to be the same for any of us. Yeah. Um, but for me, man, it was just this huge kind of like it was just like that that huge break moment. Um, so that that to me was like a, just such a such a huge part of my life, and like how using like I've used depression almost as motivation during that time. I remember I just kept grinding it out, and. Uh, Dude, that was everything right there. That that last moment, saying bye to you, saying like I said, Sergio was like, "You're not coming back." And then, um, yeah, I took that flight, May twentieth, May twenty first to DC, and um, just yeah. Before before, yeah, before gets, we get into the crazy, oh before we get because this is where it gets really crazy. But similar to you, man, like I I feel exactly when you said what you said about the Daily Caller. Like me and my mom cried. I I still won't forget. I mean, it's not even equivalent to what you were talking about, but it's like when when life finally throws you a bone you know Fine, what I mean? yeah. it's like it's like I'll, I'll never forget and this is just like a small thing but like when i was up and coming on social media to me like there was like this company that was like giving hats away and like they were doing it to influencers and so um they gave me a hat and like dude i rocked that hat because it was like the first time that i felt like sponsored <laughs> yeah, or whatever yeah. you know like they're sending me merch and i'm like bro you're sending me merch like you could be sending it to all these people. Like you're sending me merch. Oh, it's of all such people. an awesome moment, dude, dude. I got invited to the white house and I took the hat with me and the people <laughs> were like, bro, like we are making so many sales. Like, thank you. Like we sent you this merch like a year ago and you're still like promoting it. I'm like, bro, you just don't understand. Like it was like a symbolic gesture yep. of like, dude, you believe in me, you believe in what I'm doing. And that's why like, even today, um, I'm definitely not weeping. I'm definitely yawning here. Uh, but even today, like the support of the people, man, you yep. know what I mean? Like the support of the people, like here we are here. You are four years later, you know, five years later, you're a field correspondent for, for uh, daily caller. I was 
a few correspondent for El American for a bit, but now here we are like in a podcast studio. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's all because of like the people that believed in us. Yep. You know what I mean? So like, that's why when these opportunities come man, it's like, it means so much to me. And like, people are like, yo, bro, you don't have to like thank us every day. I'm like, nah, you don't understand. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't for you, if it wasn't for you, because we don't have huge sponsors, bro. You know what I mean? We're like, we're not verified on Instagram. We're right. not, we're just these two Latino boys, bro. You know what I mean? From like SoCal that like, like you said, people that maybe go work at Daily Caller, it's nothing to them. But right. to me, being able to work on set, like that's huge for us, man, because of our background of where we come from, like this, these dirt poor people, mm -hmm. you know what I mean, that like struggled so hard to get to where they are. And so when we get anything, whether it's an internship working somewhere for free or a hat from like these people, you know, it's like we're so thankful for, for the support. And so, you know, with that, you know, shameless plug, if you want to continue to support my work, you can go to <laughs> patreon.com slash inform with Anthony and you can continue to support my work there. But no, really, um, <clears throat> with that though, we'll transition over to what I think redefined your political career yep. possibly forever, bro. And that was the Black Lives Matter riots. Yeah, and well, well, before we actually get into that, Anthony, what's crazy is I remember in 2019, I forgot who it, I always forget who this conversation was, but they were like, they were talking to me, we were talking about media and journalism. They were like, look back to 2016 election year, right? And they were going, look how uh, Ben Shapiro, Mike Cernovich, and they kept naming a bunch of people. Look how they changed their lives on an election year, right? They wrote this, like what they call the political wave. He's like, right. if you could ride the wave, and I remember this guy was telling me, he's like, if you could position yourself at the right elements and all this stuff, your life which could change after election year. And that, and this was 2019, so the next year for that um, was going to be um, in, 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 in 2020. And, I mean, little did we know that it wasn't just going to be that wave. It was going to be the coronavirus wave, the Black Lives Matter, and the civil war. I mean, everything that, that compounded. But So for me, man, it was crazy. So I take this flight to D.C. Uh, I say bye to you, my close friends. And in my head, this is what I fantasize. So I'm fantasizing that I'm going to be in D.C. I'm going to be wearing fancy suits. I'm going to be interviewing Congress people. Like I thought I was going to be the like Capitol Hill guy, um, you know, living that life. Congress people suits and, and all that stuff. And um, and I find a lot of things quick. So first of all, um, I, I I took this internship. Uh, it non paid, so it's, you work for free. The only way I can make it happen, and this and I learned a lot. Like this is why a lot of people in middle class can't get into journalism. The only way I made it happen was, um, I don't know what it is, but Virginia has a massive population of Salvadorians. I'm Salvadorian, and for some reason, a bunch of my family moved to Virginia. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my family was like, hey, Hori, when you come for the internship, you can live with us. Don't pay any rent. We'll, like, we'll have your back during the internship. So I was huge. I remember I get there, and I'm, I'm staying with my uncle in Manassas, Ventura. Uh, I'm in v Manassas, Virginia, and... Um, I'm, I'm doing like training. I think it was like May 22nd, whatever. I'm doing training. The very next day, the 23rd, um, Richie McGinnis invites me to the Daily Caller office. So I go re meet Richie McGinnis. And before this, if you guys, if, for those who pay attention to the news, but around this time, uh, at the end of 2019, there was a lot of political unrest in like South America and all these countries. So I was, I was fascinated by that. So when I met Richie, I went to shake his hand. The first thing I say to Richie McGinnis, he's going to write this in his book, which is great. I say, hey, Richie, I'm a crazy mother effer. If you need me to go to Venezuela, I'll go. And imagine like hearing that from an internship, from an intern. Like, the, So Richie was like, okay, that's awesome. That's great. You know, shows me the office and not much. The next day, um, the 24th was actually my birthday, and I celebrated with a cute 
close friends, whatever. The next day was a, uh, the 25th. So the 25th, Minneapolis Police Department <laughs> releases the George Floyd tapes. Mm. So that night, I'm at my uncle's house, and I'm watching live streams. I remember it was like Unicorn Riot and a bunch of other live streams at the time. And they burned Minneapolis to the ground. I remember I was like, my jaw was to the floor when they burned the police department. Because I was like, this is Brazil. Like, this is like, I felt like I was watching a third world country, but this was in the, in yeah. the U.S. Um, at that time, I didn't, I didn't meet him officially yet, but our good friend Julio Rosas was on the ground in Minneapolis. So I'm watching that, and I don't, I don't think much of it. Uh, well, well, first I'm like, okay, this is interesting, but I thought, I thought that the riots were going to be a three-night maximum in just the city of Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. The next day... It hit SoCal. It was like 2 p.m. And I think Kaylin was on the ground. I think you were on the ground, too. Yeah. They were like robbing the Gucci store. And then there was like that viral clip of like the guy jumps on the on the cop car on the freeway. This is like NLA 2 p.m. So I'm in Virginia watching this. I'm seeing your guys' coverage. And I'm kicking myself. Because I'm like, oh, man, I could have been. Because then I felt like, man, is this a waste of a time? Because I'm like, all I'm doing is like literally living in my uncle's house, working on my laptop. I could have just been doing this in SoCal. And I could have been doing the ground coverage on this. So I was pissed off at myself, and I was watching your stuff. I could not believe it. I remember, like, Kaylin's stuff. I remember, like, Kaylin, one of Kaylin's videos, like, they're literally, like, looking at the camera. Gucci bags didn't even yeah, care. Yeah, didn't care at so all. So it was fascinating, bro. And then I was watching your stuff, which was, like, nuts. I remember you went out there with your brother. Yeah. yeah you had your brother out there. Yeah, bro. And, it was nuts. It was nuts. And then the next day was, uh, was I think, the 26th, and it was, oh, man, I, uh, this is, like, the I will never forget this night. So my friend feels bad for me. She's like, hey, I feel bad for you. You don't know anyone in D.C. Come to this barbecue. Come have some drinks and just mingle and, like, meet folks. And so I go to this barbecue. I'm mingling. I'm, like, drinking vodka. I'm, like, eating barbecue. And it was, like, around midnight, I get a call from the producer of the Daily Caller. So I'm like, this is odd. Like, I'm an intern. And in my head, I'm like, does he think I'm his booty call, like, a mistake on his contact list? <laughs> so I, I answer, like, hello. And he's screaming on top of his lungs. He goes, Jorge. He's like, the Black Lives Matter uh, protesters are fighting Secret Service in front of the White House. And I'm like, what? And then he's like, they just put Trump under a bunker. And we had a reporter at the time. His name is Matthew Miller. He goes, Matthew Miller's out there by himself. Can you go out there and give him a hand and, like, hold the light up while he interviews people? And I was like, okay, sure. Um, so I go to my friend and say, hey, no disrespect, but I got to get to the White House, explain to her everything. She's like, oh, no, no worries. Like, you came here for the Daily Caller. Do your thing. Took the took this uh, Uber and um, over there, and um, I get to the White House. Craziest scenes I've ever seen. This is like midnight. They're fighting Secret Service. Secret Service is out there. It's like bonkers, crazy. Lafayette Park, and I run and I find Matthew Miller. Matthew Miller is like interviewing protesters as like the riots are going on, and he's like, "Hey, Hori, can you hold a light?" So I hold the light. He does one interview, and then I I go to Matthew and say, "Hey, man, no disrespect." But I didn't come all the way from Palmdale, California to hold a light for you while this is happening. Like, I could – let me report too. And uh, credit to Matthew. was a totally good sport about it. He's like, hey, man, no worries. Do do your thing. Five minutes later, I'm trying to put my phone on this, like, cheap selfie stick I bought from Amazon, like 25 bucks. And next to me – and now we're, like, amazingly good friends. Next to me is what I I didn't even know at the time was Fox News' Leland Vittard. Mm-hmm. Leland Vittard is getting ready for a live hit. And as he's getting ready to trade, I'm trying to jam his phone on. The protesters find out that he's with Fox. I think he says, like, leaving with Fox News. 
as soon as they find out with, with, he's with Fox, they go, everyone, look at this white supremacist. Of course. And they just start beating up Leland. They start beating up his, like, he had a cam- uh, cameraman, beating up the cameraman. They physically assaulted him? Oh, yeah. And the security guards, like, assaulting, throwing stuff. I remember one of the protesters, like, uh, grabbed the mic from Leland and, like, threw it back at him. Holy and shit. So Leland and, and I think his cameraman, I think his security guard, like, boom, grab each other and, like, um, are out, right? They're, out, they're going towards... Uh, what we know now is Black Lives Matter Plaza, but they're 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 leaving Lafayette Park, and then I don't know what happened. Boom! Snap my phone on this selfie stick. I didn't even think about it, and just started like recording everything. So I started recording them getting assaulted. The first minute, it's me following Leland. If you look at that video, and then when Leland makes it on the street, I begin my narration. I go. This is Daily Call reporter Jorge Ventura with the Daily Call, um, you know, whatever. Um, Fox, I just said at that time, because I know his Fox name, I didn't know it was Leland Vitter, but I was like, Fox News anchor is being assaulted in front of the White House by these Black Lives Matter uh, protesters. And then Leland finally makes it to the police line, and I run right behind Leland. I say, Leland, you don't know who I am. I'm an intern for the Daily Caller. I just filmed everything. Mm -hmm. I have it all on video. And he goes, thank you. And he gives me his business card. And he's like, you need anything ever. I'm your guy. And I was like, okay, cool. And what I didn't know at the time that I was going to break the biggest story in Washington, D.C. for that weekend. Like, mm-hmm. So went on Twitter, uh, all caps, breaking. And now I know it's Leland Vitter. He gave me his thing. I'll put Fox News is Leland Vitter. Assaulted in front of the White House. Send out a tweet. And I didn't even think anything of it. I think, And after that, I took an Uber back to my uncle's house. How many followers did you have on Twitter at the time? <laughs> like 200, bro. 200. <laughs> and then... Get get to my uncle's house, and I think I, I think when I got to my uncle's house, I remember the video was at 100k, and I was like, I didn't even know what going viral meant. I was like, oh, this is cool, whatever. And I remember I fell asleep, and then when I woke up, the first thing that caught my attention was uh uh the editor in chief of Daily Caller sent out a, a mass email to every com- every company employee and goes, new intern Jorge Ventura murdering it. And I clicked the email and goes, our intern just broke the biggest story in DC, and then had the link. And I'm like, what the. And then go to my DM, Fox News, Fox News Business, MSNBC, CNN Business, every everyone, blue check, blue check. Hey, we're running your video. We're running your video. We're running your video. And I was like, and then Monday morning comes. So first of all, that happened. And I, you know, I'm going crazy. Like my phone is exploding. I mean, it's going crazy. All these blue check journalists are following me. Washington Post. I'm like, what the heck? And then I remember that night, my friend Mauricio came down from New York who was going to help me camera work. And I go, hey, um, I remember hitting up my editor-in-chief. I said, he said, hey, you just broke the biggest story. And you see, like, have the weekend off. And it was like Saturday. I was like, oh, no, no, no. We're going to Baltimore. I'm going to go cover the riots in Baltimore. So me and my friend Mauricio went to Baltimore, covered the riots. And then I remember um, Monday morning happened. And the, the, the White House press corps is asking Donald Trump, the president of the United States, about my video, about the report that I did. And I was like, this is ape s, you know? And then, <laughs> um, then that night, I'm watching Tucker Carlson on my uncle's house. And the way Tucker Carlson's show, as we all know, is Tucker does a show, and he starts with a huge monologue, and then he gets into the news of the day or whatever. Tucker starts the show, and instantly, like no monologue, goes... Our colleague, Leland Vitter, was assaulted. So as soon as he says that, like, I'm already rising. I'm like, wait a minute. There's only one reporter with that video. And he goes, like, our Fox News colleague, Leland Vitter, was assaulted in front of the White House. Daily Call reporter, Jorge Ventura. And I was like, Yo. boom. And then Tucker plays the, the clip. And the thing is, um, I've seen my video on TV already. But every every news person that played it um, played it but with no audio, which is fine, right? Um, and then they played the, Tucker played the video with audio. And then, you know, with my name, the credit, I was blown away. And then uh, the reason why the audio was such a big deal is because then it gets to my narration. So that you do hear the Daily Call reporter, Jorge Ventura, reporting from the wild, like on Fox News Live. And I was like, and on I remember most, almost on the most watched, watched anchor 
in the entire nation and during the time, time where it was like yeah. the riots were like people watched were watching Tucker like crazy i remember i almost broke my laptop because i was freaking i was running around the house i was like ah and my uncle and my aunt couldn't get to like what what's wrong with this kid i'm like my you know my foot is on tucker and then my phone exploded i think like you hit me i mean everyone and then yeah. my college professors all hit me up like how how like how <laughs> did you go from this they didn't get it like how you were just in our classroom like for how how do you yeah. like they didn't they couldn't it just didn't make sense like the science of it yeah. and basically bro like that night single-handedly changed my life forever mm-hmm. forever because it put me on the scene like i was, it was like boom like arrive on the scene it was like it was like a rookie player in the nba coming on the scene and like taking on lebron james's first game and then like, dropping like 45 like it just was like this this never so then re- instantly my editors were like hey uh we thought that you were just going to do the like, computer editing and stuff because you're just an intern to like, you could, you're ready to go. And then what we didn't know at the time was that the riots were going to be an all summer multi city thing. Um, I mean, it was, I mean, dude, there's no words for it. But it I mean, I, I could literally write a book just off that one night because it changed literally my whole trajectory in life. I mean, it just, and, but the thing is, and look, and, and a couple things I want to say is, you know, you could have two perspectives. One could be, Right place, one right time. You got lucky, right? For me to even be at the right place at the right time to get lucky took five years, four years of massive work in SoCal of being a community college kid, getting laughed at, no one looked at my work, spending all my money. It took all that for that moment to happen. It wasn't like I just got the internship at the daily. No, like all, a lot of compound things happen for that moment to be ready to t- to take it on. Um, and I think a lot of people don't realize that. I know people could look at, oh, it's a one night, but they don't get everything that that had to take action and, and it had to, you know, to be earned for then that moment of spark um, to be happening. Like some of the, there's a book, I think it's like in uh, Think and Grow Rich, where it says, one of the favorite quotes is, the harder I work, the luckier I get. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And it, it was, it was just beautiful, bro. And like I said, I mean, waking up Monday, my whole life was already changed. I didn't even know. And I'm still in an unpaid intern. Like the funny thing is that if people who watch that, they had no idea the unta- unpaid intern broke one of the biggest stories in DC. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it forever changed how my trajectory, like used like career was, I guess, supposed to, supposed to go. It changed yeah. everything, everything, everything. Yeah. What's so interesting is that during that time, cause a lot of people like, so I didn't know that Twitter was like the place you want to go right. to upload everything to make it go viral. I, to me, Instagram's all, I, I told you and like everyone else, like IG's my baby. So I was going live. Like when we first started reporting, I was just going live on Instagram. And I remember like, I was also kind of like, wait a minute, like, why do I have thousands of people to tuning in like this isn't like a uh, normal because you know even going back a little bit to like the andrew yang i was already doing they're now deleted by the way <laughs> but i was doing man on the streets but they were kind of cringe right, you right. know and so that's why i never because i i one mistake that i've always had is at least at the time with what what i was doing was i always compared myself and so i always tell myself like oh this isn't like flecka's quality this yep. isn't fog city midge quality this doesn't have high quality production I look kind of tacky. The shadow is off. I'm not going to run it. So like I would post them and then I'd think about it and I'm like, like, nah, I'm just going to delete them. And so that's why I stuck with podcasting because usually it's in a well-lit room and you can fix everything beforehand. And then usually the audio is pretty good. But um, I remember that at, at the beginning of the Black Lives Matter riots, I got the same reaction basically except on Instagram. So on Instagram, like everyone was sharing me. I was getting hit up by like companies telling me, hey, 
we want to pay you to go live on our large page. So like I had pages, like you got to understand, like you said, we had like maybe a few hundred followers, yeah, a few yeah. thousand followers. We weren't that big. I was getting verified pages on Instagram that had like half a million to 2 million followers saying, we will give you our username and password. Just go, go live, live at one of these riots and we'll pay you like a grand or two grand. And I was just like, nah, I think I'm going to stick with what, like, I want to grow my page. Right. Why would I go out there and help a page that's already big when I'm trying to build myself, yep. you know? And so I was like, nah, I think I'm good. I think I'm going to stick with my stuff. And so they kind of were forced to like, have to take my content and like obviously credit me and then like yo go follow this guy he's out there covering the rights like live and so that helped my instagram even till today you know like one hundred thirty-five thousand followers a lot of people don't know that a lot of it came because i was going live and like you said i was just in the thick of it i yep. remember we were there man and like people were literally breaking into these stores stealing like the cash like the cash register bringing it out and like three or four guys would just take like hammers this was broad daylight broad daylight too. like <laughs> broad and you had like <laughs> sirens everywhere swats everywhere like every everything is just so insane and i'm just like bro this is i can't believe this is happening and it's like i would i wouldn't even commentate because i was just them and they'd look at the camera like hey yo we out we out here fam like we out here you know like we out get yourself a nice little you know whatever that definitely like, changed yo. at the end of the right they were not too friendly in front of the camera anymore but yeah, oh, yeah the no, early yeah. The early the season, early stuff yeah they, they, were, they, they were like all about it yeah. bro. yeah but toward the end that's when it was more like and like antifa started showing up mm -hmm. a lot more because even at toward the beginning antifa really didn't show up that i saw when it came to like the looting stuff, they were more hyper-focused of staying on, on front of LAPD headquarters and protesting and fighting them directly. They weren't like in Santa Monica in the riots, you know, that I saw, you know, that I remember early on. Um, but I, I just remember like, and then you, you cross the street and then like a CVS has been looted. And then you cross the street and then there was like a, a, a truck on fire and it said like ACAB, you know, like all, oh, co man. all cops are bastards or whatever. And I was like, dude, what, what did I just walk, like, I'm, here I was, like, this podcaster, but when I saw what was happening, and I'm like, dude, that's right, th that's, right, like, there. right there. Why would I not go cover this if I if you I could, talk yeah, about the yeah. news, yeah. And so um, I did not know that you, you hadn't covered it yet until mm -hmm. you had seen, like, Kaylin. And well, I I was, what, the thing is, I watched you and Kaylin, like I said, I think it was the 25th, or the 20th, it was the 26th, or the 25th, they released a tape. And then, I mean, the next night, little did I know that, you know, they came... To D.C., I had that happen, and then I immediately went to Baltimore uh, over the weekends. I remember the Daily Caller was like, dude, you could, you could chill. You are you just broke the biggest, like, you're, you're good. Uh, but I went to Baltimore, and I remember I, I remember that, you know, back in D.C., it was just crazy because I'm, like, I'm just, we were, I mean, I think as a country, we're like, what? Like, what is, right? You know, like, you, we didn't know. Like, you, I couldn't even put picture my head around it. Either. And I remember I met Julio Rosas. And then me and him immediately go to Atlanta, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And we go to Georgia, and I believe Georgia was the Rashad Brooks thing that happened in their park. And it was just, you know, we, we, we went there, and um, I remember we go to, I think it was the Wendy's that they burned down, and they were just, they had roadblocks. I mean, could you, it was crazy because it was like, um, it was like the what was the chop zone in Seattle? What they what they they call it? Damn, I'm, I Ch covered it. And I forgot. Chaz, yeah, yeah, yeah Chaz. It like so it was like the whole Chaz autonomous zone in Atlanta, but with like hood gangsters. Like it wasn't these like skinny white boys from Portland, Seattle. Like these guys. Oh wait, wait, wait. Let me let me let me fast because I'm jumping. So that happened. Then the Seattle 
the Chaz autonomous zone thing. Yeah, you happened. guys went out there. So that. we were watching like that, and at that time, it was so my my internship was still so early that Daily Caller wouldn't cover my flights mm-hmm. to go cover it. So I'm so grateful for this. Um, my even though I think I only had like two thousand, three thousand followers on Insta, and uh, they were a loyal two thousand, three thousand followers. Meaning that like I was like, hey guys, I need help getting to Seattle. Mm-hmm. Like help me fund my trip. And they they came through. But we did this we did and this we, with almost every, every single yeah. city. Remember, we were out there in Portland, we we're out there in Minneapolis, and we would just go on social media. That's how I was doing it too, because I was like, I didn't know that people wanted to see this kind of content. But I mean, it makes sense. But right? this is it's a good like, lesson for for creators, because what I'm saying is, you know, when I talk to other people who are like want to create or whatever journalists doesn't even matter other content creators, they're always like obsessed with the follower count, right? Like, yeah. oh, I gotta get to 50k. Like even you know you know when and we know that by from starting out, right? We see flex as you said, you, we compare like I gotta get to 50, or I gotta get 100. I'm not there. Yep. And what I try to tell people is like, dude, if you're obsessed with the count, you're done. Mm-hmm. What you need to first worry about is make sure that 100 people love you right. and support you. Right? What I mean by that is the 100 people that love you, after they're done watching your content, they're going to tell their mom and dad about you. They're going to tell their friends. Like, they're going to almost do the advertising for you. Yeah. I'd rather have 1,000 people that like ride or die love my work than to have 100K so-sos. 100%. You know? So even with a little follower count because of the loyalty and also um i got this tips from gary vaynerchuk was what gary vaynerchuk said i remember in the video he did he says you need to put out content for a year to two years non-stop for free mm-hmm. you might even go to debt because you're wasting money after the two year if it's value then that's when you ask your customers to, i mean that's when you ask your followers to hey you got to meet me in the middle right yeah and so i had that moment where i finally asked and then they held me up but yeah then yeah went to um went to the autonomous zone immediately i remember i flew in on my own dime then that's when daily caller flew in richie mcginnis and then they flew in shelby telcott and then we ended up cover, covering the the whole seattle autonomous zone and um one of the crazy things is one of the tactics that we used came out in court <laughs> mm-hmm. with Richie McGinnis and the whole Rittenhouse thing. One of the tactics we've used in the riots was Richie would always love to pack his backpack with cigarettes and white claws. And then we, that's how we kind of like got into the crowds and no one would think we were journalists. So could you imagine being an intern, right? Your very first like two weeks on the job, you break one of the biggest stories in like DC and then like you and your boss go to Seattle to cover right and your, your boss is like oh yeah you could drink on the job and smoke like smoke cigarettes and who cares i'm like this is the greatest internship of the world <laughs> even though i'm working for free it's the best <laughs> so shifting shifting away from that we're definitely i mean this could be like a 3 hour segment yeah. all in itself just talking about like, 20, maybe one day we'll have like a yeah. black lives matter and like we'll pull up some of the footage man and just be like bro wasn't that crazy but one of the other things that you've been killing it in bro is the ongoing border crisis yep. And what's interesting about the border crisis is I remember when the Biden administration reversed the policies. I think you and I were like, this is not good. Like, as soon as you mm-hmm. reversed it, we knew what that meant because you have experience with a lot of like what's going on at the border stuff. You've covered it before. You posted like a video of yourself with the oh, yeah, yeah. long hair at the border. I was like, <laughs> yo, my call? Boy, yeah. Here, yeah. Uh, so he's out at the border. Um, and, and there were still like a lot of journalists trying to downplay it. like, oh, mm-hmm. it, it's just a small surge. It, it, this is seasonal. You know, like I, I remember like following like verified journalists that I trusted and they were playing it down. They were just like, oh, this is this Dude, is that it's seasonal term was everywhere. The it's seasonal. Seasonal. Oh, it's oh, seasonal. It's seasonal. Like, oh, seasonal, this is. Seasonal. Oh, but look at last year. Look at the year yeah. before that. It's seasonal. It's seasonal. And I'm like, 
what you guys don't understand is, yes, it might be that seasonal bump, but the laws that were just reversed is going to make it a long-term thing. And sure enough, here we are, October 2022, the worst border crisis this nation has ever faced in recorded history. And and you're out there killing it, man. So can you kind of maybe just tell us a little bit about how, like how mm-hmm. you started the border crisis? I know you were in Uvalde, Texas with like the shooting. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, you're still covering the border crisis. What what have you learned, brother? Yeah, it was it, it was it was crazy, man. So, you know, for me, since I'm on the ground, you almost have to always adjust to the news. Right. Mm-hmm. So like after the riots, you can't cover the riots anymore. So it started covering like the business shutdowns, did um, a lot of the school shut. My coverage shifted to school shutdowns. Around that time, though, the new administration came in, Biden and Harris come in, and then they basically give out the signal that we're not like the other uh, administration, we're more humane. So what they did is they literally gave like the selling point or tactic to the human smugglers already. Um, and then remember like the year starts, then you start to see that it's seasonal, it's seasonal. You were starting to see images of it. And I remember, like, it's crazy, man. Now that that's, it's cr- so crazy. Like, the border crisis was a border crisis to the national media for a week in March. And what I mean by that is, like, I remember, like, CNN had, like, five reporters. ABC News had, like, anchor desk on the board. Like, they were, like, it was a thing. And um, so I'm looking at that, and I go, hmm, this is interesting. At that time, we, we already had a, a border reporter or, like, an immigration reporter. Her name was Kaylee. Um, don't want to say her last name. I don't know if she wanted to probably put in the podcast but she was with us at the daily caller so uh rich mcginnis says hey i want you kaylee and me um because i did the i was you know uh, on the ground but um my responsibility is a video format right to do everything in video for us so uh rich is like hey i think we should take a trip to the border check it out ourselves and this was in march um so i remember we flew down there the first uh, the first place we uh we landed in the McAllen airport we stayed at the best western right across McAllen, and you know, I remember we got in the uh, very first night was we were in La Jolla and we ran into a group of 300. So let, let me put this in perspective. So, like, I never covered the border before. Like I've never seen this before. So I, I, I don't. And the thing is, it's a lot different. And I, I know you can relate to this now. It's one thing to read about the border because you've just seen the numbers and stats. It's like you can't. At the end of the day, we're a human. We can't put it like I could say 100,000 people came in yesterday. You're like, wow, that's a lot. But you can't put it into context. But when you when I saw it in person was insane. I remember like my jaw just dropped to the floor. I remember being La Jolla. It's so funny because three hundred now seems like nothing for what we see now. But seeing three hundred bodies, family, I was and this was mainly women and children. I remember my, my mind exploded. I couldn't believe it. They were coming in, coming in. And that's when there was like those early videos of me like Honduras. Yeah. So that's when I would do those. And I couldn't believe the amount of bodies. I mean, it was it almost seemed endless. And at that time, what, what shocked people then, which is not shocking now, was when we sh- you saw the video, people would always be like, wait a minute, why are the migrants looking for Border Patrol? Like, why were they looking? And I, I remember I was like, wait, yeah, weren't they supposed to run away? But under the whole Biden, everything changed, right? Like, they wanted to turn themselves in. So first was adjusting to this kind of new wave of, like, what this Biden border thing looks like. So... First, um, and a lot of the times when the border patrol agents weren't there, migrants would come up, and then we would like almost find the agent for them. It was like so odd, but like these people wanted to get caught, so we were adjusting to that. And I mean, really quickly, it was like holy crap, this is like completely insane. I mean, I, I, I the amount of bodies, I, I, you just couldn't fathom it. So started covering McAllen, started covering La Jolla pretty heavy, and I think that's when you started hitting the ground with us. Mm-hmm. We were on the ground, and I remember the first was just a ju- like almost getting the uh, audience to adjust of like. This is real. 
and this is happening. And then we were getting the interviews out. We started finding out more about human smugglers, the cost. Um, I think one of the bigger stories in like that first year was Roma, Texas for me. Because I remember I went down to Roma, and that's when we got the video footage. It's eerie now. Oh, where you see these smugglers and they started bringing the kids in the rafts. Mm-hmm. Remember the kids started getting dropped off and then that's when we started finding out about the colored bracelets. A lot of the kids used to have the word entregas, meaning delivered in Spanish. You started learning about colored bracelets, learning about car- the cartel involvement. So my first kind of six months, man, was um, obviously you're putting out the news for the people, but also as a reporter, you're learning. Because for me, it's a, like, I, like one thing you have to remember is a lot of these other reporters who have covered the border already have like 10 years, five years. They got all the contacts and sources and DHS, like they got it all held for us, like, you know, who are just starting out. We didn't have the contacts or the sort, like we didn't even know where to go. Mm-hmm. So your first six months is adjusting um, how it looks like on the ground, where to be and, 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 and doing all that, man. So um, it was a lot of getting that down. And then after that, I think we did some of our best coverage because then we knew the spots where to go to. We, we made contacts. Uh, we started telling some really, really powerful stories. I think the Roma one was very powerful. The one, one of the more powerful ones for me in that learning uh, period is uh, we're in Del Rio. I was, I'm with Julio Rosas and we're at this location and it, it was like, f- we, we were there for four hours and nothing happened. And we're like, we're about to leave. And Julio was like, let's just wait 30 more minutes. And then boom. 400 Venezuelans start going through the water in Del Rio. And I remember I get one of those, it was one of the more, more uh, famous images where it's me and I'm doing my stand-up. And as I'm doing the stand-up, I point behind and you see all the Venezuelans arriving on the soil. And a lot of Americans, even for Republicans, it was shocking to see Venezuelans when they got they got on American soil, how they looked at the, uh, the dirt and just cried to be on American dirt. I remember they would pray, I mean, even bringing up the dirt. And then um, in that, as I'm doing my stand-up, I'm, um, Julio does a great job on camera capturing this. You see where one of the Venezuelan moms has like a baby, like three months. And the baby's wet from the river. And she gives it to the state trooper. You can see the Texas state trooper caressing the baby. It was like one of the more famous images. And in that same video, we had the powerful uh, image of there was a Venezuelan 20-year-old, uh, 20-year-old kid. And he's holding this grandma. She's like 85 oh, years yeah. old. And she's like, it looks really, it's just so sad, man. Wasn't and she like in a wheelchair or something? She was in a wheelchair. Yeah, yeah. And, and so he and had to carry her across. He had to carry her. So he carries her across the river, which was like insane. And then he gets her to the shore. And then it was just such a sad image. And I mean, that went viral all over. I remember that was the that was the first time I was on, I went on Univision. I mean, it went famous international news. But, but it was just, um, you know, basically reporting and learning and then like adjusting to it. And then we were one of the first... That we're actually getting, and it's same thing with the riots, where you have the mainstream reporters will send a, a reporter to the border. They be like, "Oh, the border's not that bad. It's seasonal. Here's a group of ten. Not crazy." But then you send, then you send on it, and you got the full story. Well, like, yeah, you'll see a group of five, but if you stick around another two hours, 300, 400 kids abandoned. And the same thing with the riots, right? Like, we beat, we went, we beat mainstream media, and I think that's why. The coverage has been so successful because people were like, wait a minute, whether I'm left or right, like at least at least we're getting something real here. Like we're getting these huge like and it's on video. Like that's what I love about being a video reporter. Right. You can't deny those images. So and at the same time, and I think this is where we can relate to, man, is like then you always get like, hey, how do you feel as a Hispanic? So that's another thing, man. It's like you're a Hispanic. You're reporting on on an issue that obviously affects our people. And it's like so a lot of there was just so many elements to it yeah. and um the good thing is man like as i kept doing it my coverage just got better 
Um, it, it just got more fine-tuned. We started getting better with the sources and started beating out mainstream, 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 mainstream. One of the huge turning points and where I think my career started making more national news was when the 15,000 Haitians last year in September came down and crashed Del Rio, right? Yeah. Um, uh, shout out to our boy Bill Malusian who like broke that story. I remember I was trying to get there to ASAP and I couldn't get there. And then I, I couldn't even get to the ground until like my fourth day. So got on the ground. By the time I got on the ground, uh, Border Patrol shut down all access to the media because of the whole whipping migrant story was already viral <laughs> and yeah. as well. So I remember I got to the ground. I couldn't get to the uh, I couldn't get to Del Rio. I mean, I couldn't get under the bridge. Media access was shut down. Um, I met this documentary guy who was a filmmaker, and he goes, "Hey man, um, we can't get you know we can't get here whatever." He's like, "But you know where we could go?" I'm like, "Where?" He's like, "We could go to Mexico and then report from that side." And I just met this guy. I don't even know who he is, and I was like. Can I come with you? He's like, yep. Jump in his rental car. And because there were so many Haitians under the bridge, um, the port of entry in Del Rio was shut down. So instead of just being an easy, like, 10-minute drive, we had to drive an hour to Eagle Pass, cross into Pedras Negras, which we didn't know now one year later, all of our reporting is now in Eagle Pass. Yeah. And then from Pedras Negras, we made we we drive one uh, hour down to uh, Suda Acuna. Which, then, by the way, kids, never get into a stranger's yeah, car. Yeah, don't do this. It's not don't, even smart. Yeah, don't, don't ever get into <laughs> some guy you just met, rental car, and go to Mexico. Um, but it was crazy, bro, because it was like, um, so I went to Ciudad Acuna, and that is when my more of my board stuff started to go, go on national news because we um, started covering how the Haitians were make, were living in these makeshift camps. And it was like those uh, viral videos, if anyone has seen of me, it's me in the river like with the Haitians as like they're transporting supplies uh, back and forth from the U.S. and stuff. So that, that – Isn't that like the first time you got your feet wet? Like, well, yeah, really, actually, like, wet, like you were that was, And then that was my first time being in the water, which, I mean, one year later, those waters were nothing to what we're jumping in now. But that coverage – um, started making it on Fox News. Bro, and I remember that. So I started actually like, because after that, I mean, I've been on Fox News before, but not for border coverage, right? There's been riots and other things. So now I'm actually getting on national TV for border coverage. Um, and it, it was just amazing. It was such a good point for like my, my kind of career at that point because it elevated me and then kind of put me like, okay, uh, at least for the mainstream media, like, hey, this is one of the guys that we could go to. Um, but basically, man, we've, we've literally stayed on the border almost i mean literally since biden has come in and um you know i'm really proud to say that i really feel like we've done some of the best best coverage on it um i'm glad that we never gave up literally just left eagle pass two weeks ago was on fox news again with laura ingram we did a story on eagle pass the running out of dead bodies to put the migrants in so it was it's it's just crazy to see man that like whether it was the riots or any of these little things you know when we first cover it are we the best at it? No. But then we adjust and we right. learn and then we do the reps and reps and reps. And then we just we just get better at it. And I think a lot of mistake because I've had other reporters hit me up like, hey, Jorge, can I join you at the border? And they think you just, you know, they, they think that I take a reporter to the border and we turn our camera on and then people are getting sex traffic and fentanyls flying and cartels are shooting. And they don't know the amount of work and hours that it takes every day to, to do some of that good reporting. And the thing is, we're not mainstream guys and the reason i say it is like we can't afford to have a team of 30 on the ground that you know we just we just can't it's, it's it's all on us so i'm really really proud of that and i feel like the border coverage has been some of the best um in this country for sure i feel like we're we're up there um yeah like i said doing some of the best work and giving people really powerful video yeah i and that that is something that a lot of people do take 
do not take into consideration is like you said, we're not well funded. So I have literally seen like journalists working for bigger you know, corporations, not going to name drop anyone, but they're like out here, like in, you know, air conditioned SUVs while like you and I are sleeping in the car because we're trying to catch like, Oh, is that them? Like, Oh right. no, that's not, Oh, is that them? Oh no. That, oh, is that, Oh no, that's just border patrol. So like we have to literally wait there and like, we don't have any, like when we first started, we didn't have, we don't have any tips. We don't have no border tips. patrol like texting us like, Hey man, there's a group about to get here. Like in 10 Nothing, minutes, you dude. might want to come out here. We literally had to stay there and I'll never forget. Like one of the guys, Eric, like he was telling us like, dude, we literally had to sleep on the floor because it was so hot to sleep inside the car we literally had to stay outside for like that desert breeze and sleep on the floor so to me like you might not know it but i have pictures of us like how we used to sleep back then <laughs> i got them Those in my great. in my desktop but it's like literally bro like three hours of sleep and like we have to wake up because we have to edit mm -hmm. we have to do all these things and everything is because people are supporting our work and it's just amazing, man, like how much we've gone. Uh, but with that, uh, we are going to wrap up the free portion of, of the interview. We're going to do about another 20 minutes or so on the paid subscribers page. So if you guys uh, want to see more footage, if you guys want to head over, become a subscriber today for less than a gallon of gas. Uh, you can help support my work. You can continue to uh, help us here, keep the lights on, bring on uh, good guests. Uh, like my friend Jorge Ventura here is doing great work. Um, and then you also get to submit specific questions. Um, as well uh, to to the guest here. So people that are subscribers, uh, they've already submitted their questions. So I'm going to ask you some of those questions. One of them is, are you single? Uh, so be ready to uh, <laughs> be ready to answer that. But uh, again, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Oh, where can people find you, by the way? Yeah, best two places right now are Instagram and uh, Twitter. So Instagram is Jorge Ventura TV. And then on uh, Twitter, it's Ventura Report. Both uh, great pl platforms. We're breaking news on both of them all the time. So. All right. Thank you so much, man, for coming in. I appreciate you. Yes, sir. All right. Thanks.